welcome to Bullpen Sessions, where you will learn the lessons from the athletes excelling at the highest level so you can take these same lessons and apply them to your sport, business, and life. My name is Andy Neary, and each week I sit down with current and former pro athletes and other professionals tied to the sports world where we dive into the mindset of those athletes excelling at the highest level, teaching you lessons you can apply so you can have massive success in your sport, business, and life. So do me a favor, grab your glove, grab a ball, take the mound, because you are about to strike out those limiting beliefs that have been holding you back for oh so long. Here we go. Hey, hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. I am excited today because I have Jeremy Wolf joining me. Now, if you don't know Jeremy, Jeremy is from Phoenix, Arizona. He is a graduate of Trinity University in San Antonio. But more importantly, one of the reasons I have him on is he is a 2016 draft pick of the New York Mets. And I love this, a 2020 member of the Israeli Olympic baseball team. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, but really what I also want to talk about with Jeremy today is not only his baseball experience, the highs and lows he experienced on the baseball field, especially in pro ball like myself, but we're going to talk about his professional career where he started a nonprofit called More Than Baseball that provides housing, food, equipment, career, transition, coaching, and legal services to minor league baseball, which if you're unfamiliar with that is a huge need. But we're also going to talk about a company he recently launched called Mind Ready that supports the mental health and well-being of all athletes. Like this is the core of what Bullpen Sessions was created for. So with that being said, Jeremy – Welcome aboard, my friend. Thank you for having me. That can that be my ringtone? I should, I should yeah, find a way to wake say that. up every morning to that intro right there. Now we need some background music. Um, no, uh, this is going to be a fun conversation because again, you and I have very, very similar backgrounds. Um, let's just start here, man. I hate to ask the generic intro question, but for the audience who has no clue who Jeremy is, where were you born? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? <laughs> Um, my, my dad actually grew up, uh, in New York city. So I, I was always a Mets, Jets, Rangers, Knicks fan, which is a miserable, miserable thing <laughs> for me. Um, so we lived East coast for a little bit. My dad worked at ESPN. So I was born in Connecticut, moved to Phoenix. He went to Arizona state with my mother. Um, we moved to Phoenix very, very early on. Uh, but so I always say I'm born and raised in Arizona and, um, and boy, what a what a great place to be and grow up. I'm still here in Arizona. I moved down to Tucson, as you can tell by my my hat. Uh, I did not go to the University of Arizona. If my mother sees this, she went to Arizona State. She will kill me. Uh, but my girlfriend is at the medical school here and did her undergrad and her master's. So 75% of the degrees in my house are from this one uh, institution. Um, so I grew up in Phoenix. Um, was fortunate enough to play at a really strong baseball program called Chaparral. We uh, won several state championships when I was there. Um, the person hitting in front of me got drafted in the second round. And so I was like, yeah, sure. A, a professional baseball career is in my future. Uh, I did not get a phone call from any university um, until the last possible day when Trinity University called me. And uh, they said, hey, uh, we, we want you to come. You're going to play outfield every game. And we're going to win a national championship your senior year. And I said, yeah, sure, sign me up. Who cares how much it costs? I'll pay for it eventually. I'll get a good job or I'll play in the major leagues. It won't matter. And um, so it was me and one of my best friends from high school, Austin Singer, and then two of our really close friends from a rival high school. We had just beaten the state championship. We all went to Trinity and um, – had the best four years you could ever have, won a national championship, got drafted a couple of days later, played 18 months of 
professional baseball with my favorite team and um the rest is history so okay uh, so we got yeah. a ton to unpack here so okay growing up in new york or yeah. you know a new york fan so i heard jets not giants jets not giants yeah. mets not yankees how dare you yes and rangers not islanders uh yes correct this okay. is correct so two of the three you've been probably in a little more misery than happiness especially being a jets fan yeah <laughs> it's just a miserable experience. I, 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 I follow Gary Vaynerchuk a lot, Gary V. And I know yeah. he also is a very, he actually loves the fact that jets lose. Like he, he celebrates like the day they win a super bowl. I'll have to stop being a fan. Cause I love the underdog. Yeah, but he can buy the team. So <laughs> what, whatever he wants them to be bad because the price will get lower. Now, I did have to say to you, if, for the people who are listening, uh, Jeremy's hat says bear down. I didn't realize that was an Arizona saying. I thought that actually was a Chicago Bears hat because I know the Bears have a saying, bear down. Oh, maybe. Maybe maybe, maybe I tell my mother. Maybe <laughs> I wear this in Phoenix and people will go, oh, what is that? And I say Chicago Bears. Uh, no, <laughs> Same it's, colors, pretty much. <laughs> it's the University of Arizona slogan, go Wildcats, bear down. Who knows why? Maybe... Yeah something a hundred years ago said, well, we're going to say bear down for some unknown yeah. reason. Go cats. Well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this, Jeremy, because uh, let, let's, let's fast forward your childhood to Trinity university. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I'm, I think Trinity is a division three college, yes, program, sir. right? Which, which is, which is, this is what I love about college baseball. You can play D one, D two, D three, Juco. I don't care. And you got a shot to play pro baseball if you're good. Yeah, if you're good, they'll find you. Now, not anymore. Who knows? I mean, there's 20 rounds. I was in the 31st round. They don't have that round anymore. So is a Division three kid going, well, I can get to play professional baseball. He might go play indie ball. And so better talent is going to go play independent baseball or better talent is going to go overseas. But I said, oh, I'm going to get drafted. That was it. That was my whole goal my entire life. Every single year, it's what do you want to be when you grow up? Professional baseball player for the New York Mets. I got to do that. But if I were playing now with my skill set, I was the 31st round skill set. I'm not a 19th or 20th round skill set. So I feel it's I feel very fortunate that I was born in the right time, but uh, I feel very sad that a kid like me doesn't have the opportunity to do that anymore. It's a great point because for those unfamiliar, I, I came out of college in 1999 and there were 50 rounds 50 drafts 50 mm -hmm. rounds in the draft i don't know if it was the same way with you jeremy um but today because partly because of the pandemic and partly because they've just narrowed down the number of players in the minor leagues they've gone all the way down to a 20 round draft so you're, to your point jeremy that's 30 rounds of, of athletes that are not getting a, a shot to be drafted anymore which we have heard plenty of stories about that kid drafted in the 39th round that ultimately went on to be you know the click in minor league baseball, he makes it to the big leagues and the rest is history. So yeah, you're, it's definitely narrowed the path to getting to the big leagues compared to when you and I were playing. When you look at the numbers and you look at the percentages of minor leaguers that make it to the major leagues and you look at it, it's less than 10%, but of that composition of 10%, it's a majority first or fifth rounders. There is an argument to be made that a smaller pool of players means that it's moot at that point. Now, what it did 
cutting 42 teams and cutting 20 rounds in the draft means less players are going to have access to playing professional baseball. Less communities are going to have access to professional baseball. It lowers the scope that baseball has, the reach that baseball has, because there's less opportunity to make it to the next level. Ultimately, is a detriment for all of baseball. However, the teams don't care. The, the teams just say, how can we get our first rounders to the big leagues? That's the business perspective from the personal aspect it's oh my god i can't where where is baseball going if less people are going to have opportunity to play and i'm so disinterested in baseball and the where it's going and what it is and what it's been about it's just it's different and it's a it's almost it's unwatchable at this point yeah i have to agree on that i mean i still turn on the the rockies games from time to time you know when i need when i'm stretching you know in the living room and stuff (laughs) like that but um it is getting harder and harder to watch the game because you know the, the the decisions that are being made behind the game. And full circle, for example, uh, here in Windsor, Colorado, the town next to me, they just opened an independent team um, that's going to play indie ball. And the irony of it, Jeremy, is it's actually the Pioneer League, the mm-hmm. league that I played in when I was in minor league baseball that got cut. Yeah. And now it's an independent league. It's no longer a minor league because they cut so many teams from it. My goal in life is I want to own an uh, independent league team. I just think it would be so fun. I mean, you've seen what the Savannah Bananas have been able I actually to had Jesse on the podcast. He's he's a genius. Yep. He's a, he's a savant. Yes. He, he's turned collegiate summer league baseball into a nationally known product. Yes. They're the globetrotters of baseball. And he did that in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah, Georgia. Yep. And the power that baseball has is the ability to bring people together on a very consistent basis. 162 games throughout a major league baseball season, 142 games in minor league baseball, uh, 50 in the collegiate summer league, but that's 22 home games that he can have in three months to make it fun and different and exciting. No other sport has that. So it makes baseball special. Well, guess what? Their season, I think, opens this week or next. Um, I don't know, but I did see Johnny Gomes. Actually, the real 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 season starts in a few weeks when college is out, right? College baseball is out. He put a post out on LinkedIn last week. They already sold out every home game this year. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Because it's affordable and fun and exciting. And people yep. in Savannah want to go. And people throughout the South would travel five or six to hours to, go, co- to yep. go see it. Why not? Well, let's not let's, – let's talk about Trinity because uh, I'm from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So a, a program near where I grew up that was also a dominant player, D3, was UW-Whitewater. Uh, who you're probably familiar with the name. Oh, yes, and I am. Trinity was a very, very big powerhouse. In fact, I remember there were some years I think Trinity went into the College World Series with only two or three losses. Um, what was that like playing for a team that was typically at the top yeah. of, ra- of the rankings in D3? When you're in the middle of San Antonio, a city that barely knows that your school exists. I think they do, but they don't. And you're playing teams that you in your conference that just stink and you ask your coach, what, what ranking are we? And he goes, Oh, we're number one in the country right now. And you go, really? But what's really interesting about that is that we scrimmage seven days a week, right? Or, you know, before the games, we scrimmage five days a week. We're playing the best team in the country every single day. That's what made us great. So we're, we're, that helps us as a college athlete and as a team that, was designed every single person that was on the roster well starting lineup when we were um, in the national championship 
was a senior. So we were there to win a national championship. And we knew from day one of being there that we will win a national championship. It was either going to happen our junior year because we had a star pitcher who was a senior, or it was going to happen our senior year because all of us were going to have that experience. That's sort of wake up. It's sort of wake up every day and going, we're the number one team in the country mm-hmm. and we're playing the number one team in the country and we're going to go and roll these guys. That's a, we felt confident in that. Well, I was going to say that the big lesson to be learned there, I've heard this said from championship teams in, in other sports is we knew we were going to win the game because every week our toughest competition was in practice. Yeah. Yeah. And we were a good team. We were all in the same grade. We all wanted to do the same thing. We were all, we all lived together. And we, there, were no, there was no infighting. There was no, I'm the biggest man on campus. There was no, there was no ego. There was no, it was, we're going to win the national championship. And that's it. Who did and you beat was, in the national title game? We beat Keystone. We beat lacrosse, uh, Wisconsin lacrosse my senior year. I think in like the regionals, they had Tyler, Taylor, the lefty, he hit like 490. He beat me out for national player of the year, that jerk. And uh, he played for the Padres for a little bit, I think got drafted. And um, But he was, a, he was a stud, man. He had like a 70-game hit streak. Like he's incredible. Um, we did play the Wisconsin lacrosse. I think we lost to them actually my sophomore year too at the okay. regional in Linfield. Um, but who's counting? So, so senior year, you're at Trinity. You guys not only win a national title, you are one of the finalists for player of the year, D3. When did you realize, was it in the senior season, maybe even the junior year, when did you realize you had a legit shot of getting drafted? Never. <laughs> I never, I, four years I dedicated to like, maybe to playing professionally. I don't know if I would have, I got the call to play indie ball. Like, I don't know if I would have, I was literally just like, I, I just, I want to get drafted. I want to do this thing. I, I, that's all I'm going to dedicate my time to. I'm going to go in the cage. I'm going to run the base. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to get drafted. Um, we win the national championship. I go from San Antonio to go do a tryout in New York at St. Lucie at the facility. I fly into Tampa uh, at 11 PM. I get to my friend's house at midnight. We wake up at 4 AM. We do the 7 a.m. workout in St. Lucie. It was the most exhausted I've ever been. It was the best I've ever played on a baseball field. Just lasers, home runs. They even told me, the GM was standing right there, Sandy Alderson. It's like, hey, like, don't take any more rounds. I said, yes, Mr. Sandy. Like, of course, like, I will listen to you. Um, I get back to Arizona, and I'm the most nervous I've ever been. What is my life going to be? I did not prepare to leave baseball. Um, am I going to have to call people to go play any ball? I don't have an agent. We just, what am I going to do? And uh, I was at lunch with my dad and his friends. I was just like, I need to do something. I need to get out. And a friend of mine, I'll never forget it, Bradley texts me, texts me, and he says, congratulations. And I just start crying i didn't know who i didn't know where i didn't know when i didn't know how he knew but you knew what that message was about i knew exactly what it was and uh that other than meeting my soon-to-be fiance was the greatest moment i will ever have in my entire life i was gonna ask you you know do you remember that moment that it happened and and of course that was it um that those are moments you'll never forget i actually didn't get drafted uh, mm-hmm. I signed as a free agent, and I remember the the two or three days of the draft going by, and my name wasn't called. Terrible. And I had just resumed. I had just assumed my baseball career is over, right? 
And I'll never forget, it was, uh, I'd started a summer internship and I came home after the first day and I had a message on my phone, a voice message. Remember when we still had voicemail? Um, and it was my pitching coach from UWM said, hey, call me right away. And he said, the Brewers want to sign you as a free agent. Call Harvey Keen right now. Yeah. That was a Monday, man. By Friday, I was in Helena, Montana. Yep. It was wild. And it you is. literally like went from like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And so when you got drafted, where did you report to? I reported to St. Lucie. Um, all the draft guys were going there for a week to do physicals, do these things. Um, and then we were going to be shipped off to Kingsport to do short season. And the better, you know, Pete Alonzo was in Brooklyn, maybe my year or the year before. Like, I, I can't remember. But half the guys went up to Brooklyn, half the guys stayed in Kingsport. And from that moment, from the, from the day I showed up in the clubhouse, I, it, I felt so inadequate. I felt like I was the smallest fish in the biggest pond. And I felt like every single second of every single day I was going to get cut. Because I never, I, never, I never felt comfortable. And I played well my first year. Yeah, but I just it, it it just kind of consumed me. The pressure that I put on myself to perform well consumed me just to try to perform well. It's counterintuitive. No, the, 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 this is where I want one of the reasons I want John. You and I have probably the, almost the identical story in pro ball. I just wanted to fit in. I I felt as a free agent pitcher. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you feel like every time you took the field, you had to be perfect? I was a I was an outfielder coming in, yep. left-handed hitter. And they said, two days in, Jeremy, go get your first base glove. Go play first base. I did not have a first base glove. And I had never taken ground balls in my entire life. And I go, yeah, sure, you got it. And I ran into the clubhouse begging someone to just, if they had one. And then I drove that night after the game. I drove to Dick's Sporting Goods. I got there right as it ended. I bought a $100 mitt, and I used that the entire year. So and you ended up playing first base? For the whole season. Wow. And I had never taken ground balls. And I never, ever wanted to take ground balls again. But I, I had to not only hit at a level that I was barely prepared for, uh, because the jump, D3 jump, like, D3 is good baseball, but a D3 jump to a pro jump where there's – Venezuelan guys throwing 109 miles per hour at your head. Like, it's a different mindset. And then, oh, by the way, I got to play first base. Oh, by the way, you're about to learn a whole new position. Yeah. yeah I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. Did you, did you also experience, because you do talk about it's a different level of competition, but did you also have that experience where you looked at some of the guys you played with and you're kind of like, really, you got drafted in the ninth yeah, round? totally. My, <laughs> my team, the team I played with at Trinity, of our starting lineup, there were a handful of guys that were as good or if not better than the minor leaguers that I was playing with. Even the guys. So like a 19 year old kid from the Dominican Republic that got to minor league baseball, like is good and is younger and has upside. But the D one guys that I saw that I played with were no better than the, like literally no better than the division three guys I played with. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's something I learned too, especially on the mound. Um, I, I went from having a senior in college catch me to mm-hmm. uh, a kid who was a high schooler last year. Mm-hmm. So things like throwing curveballs on a full count, stuff like that, you just you saw you almost they weren't as experienced at it as as even my catcher was at UWM. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, man, it was it was definitely a lot of adjustments. Well, you know, you talk about living in that feeling of like you didn't fit in, like you didn't belong. You know, your path was very similar to mine. 
the pro ball did not last very long. And I, I don't know about you, man. I remember the day they finally said to me, we're cutting you. Uh, mine was in, in spring training. I don't know if that happened okay. to you in spring training or during the season. When, when did, when did it, when did you finally realize that? Mm, yeah, this might be over. Um, so at the end of my first season, I leave Kingsport, I get home and my back is, I drove from Tennessee to Phoenix. My back, I get home for some reason, my back was just messed up. Maybe because I sat for so long. I go to the doctor. They're like, your disc is 11 millimeters herniated. You're going to need surgery. You're going to need all this. So I got two epidurals. I didn't tell my team. My team found out and said, Jeremy, what's happening? What's, what's with your back? Can you come visit us here? And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, I can't get out of bed. Okay. So now they know I'm injured. Okay. The trainers know I'm injured. I get, I, for some, somehow, I went from being in an unbearable amount of pain to then just trying to get ready for the next season, a four month off season. And I'm trying to make money and I'm trying, I boarded out at the park. I, I, I did hitting lessons because that's what you could do. And um, I go into the next season just in agony, like in spring training, it's me. And then it's Steven Metz, uh, Matt's who was there. And then uh, it's Tim Tebow. And those were my lockers. And I'm like, okay, I just got to play through this. Maybe it's this is the worst it's going to get. I played through spring training. I stayed in extended spring, which is the, is the worst experience of my life. Um, and then I play in Brooklyn. Um, and I got injured in August. And my disc popped out. I was the last time I was on the field. And my grandpa was there. 10,000 people there. And I'm running pregame. And I turn to my right and my back just pops. Just you could, I could feel everything explode like it was the it was terrible uh and i go this is the last time i'll ever be on a baseball field i'm going to go out to the outfield i told the center fielder quinn brody i said i'm not going to move to any ball hopefully it doesn't come to me and then i walk back in full tears crying going to the locker room break all of my bats break everything i broke i broke everything um because i knew i was never going to use it again hmm. uh anyway the it, the the next two weeks, I went back to the hotel, um, never got out of bed, barely ate, couldn't go to the restroom, didn't sleep, um, got surgery. They flew me home two days later. And then I got the call that I was getting released about a month after that. Yeah, I couldn't even walk yet after my back surgery. Shit. That was my, so in and out, that was my career in a nutshell. And, uh, you know, you look back on it and you go, wow, great experiences, but man, that not end how I want. Yeah. It, so. It's, it's hard. You know, I hear, I heard that a lot too. When I got cut, I was like, you should you know, feel lucky you got the opportunity. Right. But it's like, yeah. you know, I get it. I'm grateful. But at the same time, I know I didn't live up to my full potential. Yeah. And I know in your case, you had injuries and things <sighs> that kind of derailed you as well. But man, that feeling of you knowing I'm capable of more and I didn't get there. Mm. It's a frustrating feeling. I don't know. I, I, I maxed out. You did. Okay. I, no. I feel like, very content with how my career was good sure i didn't want to get hurt and i've had a lot look i've had a lot of talk self-talk to get to this point but I, I feel like i was a overlooked high school player played division three got drafted i think everything else after that was 
I got the validation I wanted. Got it. And I got it from my own team. And, you know, if I was with the Rockies, who would, you know, would I still mm-hmm. be playing? If I was with the, the Brewers, would I still be playing? I don't know. You can't play that game. Yep. But I look back on my career very confident and content that I pretty much maxed out my ability. I certainly maxed out my athletic ability. Like I was not yeah. getting faster. I was not getting stronger. And my career ended the way it was going to end. And I was lucky enough to do the amazing things after that in baseball and Olympic stuff. But yeah, we're going to talk about that here in yeah. a second. Cause, cause, uh, I'm, it's cool to hear that, man, because, you know, I think about it, you, the, the punchline to it is, is apropos that you got at the end of the day, you got to play for your team. You you grew up rooting for. Yeah. And so did I, I got to play for the Brewers team. I, I grew up 30 miles outside of Milwaukee. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, that is, that is something that you have to look back on with gratitude. Um, now, you know, to your point, your baseball career wasn't quite over yet. You know, no. you ended up you ended up getting an opportunity to represent Israel mm-hmm. in the Olympics. Talk talk us through how that works because you're an American citizen. You've mm-hmm. grew up born and raised in the United States, but now you're representing a different country uh, <laughs> at the Olympic Games. Tell how does that work? Jews, Jewish people, Jewish Americans, Jewish Jewish people around the world uh, have what is called the law of return. So the country of Israel. Um, you know, p- politics aside and, and everything like, you know, it's, I was fortunate enough that the country said Jewish people from around the world can come to Israel and get citizenship and gain citizenship. So the team itself was the, the world baseball classic was two years prior and we played very well with American Jewish descendants, but they did not become citizens. Ike Davis was on the team. Um, Ryan LaVarnaway was on the team. Um, uh, Jason Marquis guys you've heard of who happened to be Jewish. Jock Peterson was on it in 2012. But the Olympic team, to be on the Olympic team, you had to become a citizen. So we had an agreement with the, the country. Um, Peter Curtis, who runs the organization, said, I'm going to get as many top Jewish ball players, and they're going to compete for the Olympics. Can you give them citizenship in an abbreviated manner? Aliyah is what it's called, is a six-month process. It's actually a year long. But within six months of living there, they will give you a passport. They will help you find a job. They will help you find a place to live. And they will give you money to move from wherever you are to become an Israeli citizen and live in Israel. We did ours in a week. And, you know, you do a little ceremony, you have some hummus, and you're Israeli. So then six months later, we played in European tournament pool B. We won pool B. We played in a separate pool. We won that pool. Then we played in the European tournament pool A. We came in fifth, top five move on to the European um, Olympic qualifier, and we won that. And we qualified for the Olympics. So everybody on the team was living in America. Even the four born and raised Israelis served in the army. They all went back to the States. And I said, um, yeah, screw it. I'm going to go live in Tel Aviv. So I lived in Tel Aviv for six months until COVID started, 20, September 2019 to March of 2020. And they're like, virus spreads from China to Italy. And I was like, I should go home now. Yeah, I'm going to go home. So I flew back home um, and was preparing for the Olympics. The Olympics gets pushed. And that year from 2020 from the Olympics get pushed, we added a bunch of players. Uh, and so... I got moved from the roster of players to, well, Ian Kinsler and a lot of other star stud baseball players joined our team. And so I got, I became an alternate, but I had, I have an Israeli flag here. 
I have my glove that I got to use. I have these American uh, amazing experiences. I have Israeli citizenship and I was this close to going to the Olympics with Israel. Yeah. And it fell a little short and I think that's okay. Yeah. Well, again, it's a lot of it had to do too with circumstances out of your control things, you know, we dealt with a lot of global things at that time, you know, but here's, here's the, here's where we're going with this whole thing. This is where we're going to kind of finish up the, the back part of this podcast, Jeremy, your experience playing baseball at its highest level in the minor leagues mm-hmm. at the Olympic level, you know, playing in those European qualifiers, going, especially in minor league baseball, there's a lot of mental battles minor league athletes go through minor league players. I'd say professional athletes in general. Mm-hmm. And what I've loved about what you've done is now baseball careers over. You've gone on to have success in the insurance world, which both you and I ha- have spent time in, but you've also gone on to do other great things. One, you started a company, a nonprofit called more than baseball. You've also since launched a company called mind ready. Let's talk about those a little bit. Let's start with more than baseball. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the, what was the premise behind that nonprofit and what were you looking to accomplish? When I first got drafted, I said, I need a case of bats. I don't have any money. I was just a college athlete. My, my student loan's kicking in. Can you help me get bats? And they said, no. Okay, this is interesting. Like, I'll get a credit card and put some money. I'm like, whatever. I'll figure it out. I'm a pro now. I can find my own equipment. And... Then I, it costs money to live in Tennessee and it costs money to eat. And we're making $700 a month after everything's out of our, we're just not making any money. And so you look at the legality around that. You look at the fact that legally, minor league baseball players are not subject to minimum wage and overtime. They're not considered full employees because of some law that was put on the books in 1938. Fair Labor Standards Act says minor league baseball players are exempt from minimum wage and overtime. And so you look at these issues and you look at, I was lucky enough to be out of baseball when I was 24, but what if I was 28? What if I was 30? What if I had nothing to show for on my resume? For my friends who were Dominican and Venezuelan, they stayed in the country when they should not have. They were staying in the country illegally. And they said, I have to stay. I have to go somewhere because this is the only way I have to support my family. There's no structure within minor league baseball to support the athletes if they don't get to the major leagues. And I was just so fed up that when the Save America's Pastime Act came out, that set in stone, minor league baseball players are not subject to minimum wage and overtime through trying to get rid of the SENI versus Major League Baseball lawsuit back in 2018, this is March of 2018. I said, someone's got to do something to help these athletes get housing and food and equipment. And a lawsuit is not going to do that. And a lawsuit has proven not to accomplish that. It did not do anything. It has not done anything. And they settled before I thought they should have. But more than baseball had the opportunity to provide direct assistance and relief to players who needed it. We help players stay in the country. We help players find jobs. We're the only organization that provides a direct resource to players. And I was lucky enough over four years to raise um, with Slade Heathcott and Simon Rosenbaum Larson and Mylesa Lowry and these amazing people who all say things should change in minor league baseball. We were able to raise over $2 million, help support 3,500 ball players, help keep five players in the country, help find 20 players jobs. Is it, is it a bandaid on a flesh wound? 
Yeah, 100%, absolutely. But it's something. It's something that wasn't there before. And it's something that's going to have to continue to be there because there's no assistance. Well, and to the, to your point, I mean, just to, just to, to drive this home, you played in minor league baseball 2000 what? 16 and 17. I got paid the same amount of money you did the summer of 2000. 2000. You were actually making more than me. Because I was making $900 a month. You were making more than me because those those salaries haven't increased with inflation. That was my point. Literally, the salary has not increased in in that 16 to 17 year gap with the cost of living yeah. going the way it has. Things in minor league baseball have gotten really bad. There hasn't been an increase in pay in 42 years. Wow. So, so you look at this system, right? If you gave me every opportunity at my disposal to perform well, to play well, to develop, to learn, to sleep better, don't you think I would have played better? So more than baseball at the end of the day became a tool for player development. What can we have at our disposal provided by this community of people who thinks that this environment should change? What can we do to provide this resource to players and not have to scream from the rooftops saying, pay them more, but say, look how easy it is to change this environment and support this ball player and support this community. And when you create this new culture around this thought process of look how easy it is to support this ball player and look how affordable it can be, we just said, screw it. We're going to do it ourselves. And so players would come to us say, I need access to this. I need help with this. We'd say, oh, this is easy. We have this. So now we're this conduit of every single resource that a ball player could use during and after their career to help their family, to help them. Is it the end all be all? No, it's not. That's going to have to come from major league baseball and the teams and the players, the major leaguers standing up. It's going to have to come from the union. And they've refused to do anything. And so someone has to do something. And so we've put ourselves in the position to, to do that. And I think we've had some national recognition and notoriety. I think we've done a great job. And just driving home, you know, Ken Rosenthal did a partnership with us because he says minor leaguers should get food. Seems like a crazy concept, but someone's got to help them with it. Well, you're you're bringing back memories. I go back 22 years now when I played, and I can remember we had a mix of host families and then some players living on their own. And the host family often was a luck of the draw. Did you get a good host family or not? But I can remember the guys that chose to live on their own, the the living conditions were not good. And you think about the, the, the work today that goes into sleep patterns and taking care of your body, taking care of your mental health. Back then, yeah, it's like, how did, how did these guys even perform at their best with the way they were take lack of taking care of themselves off the field? People who are listening to this and who I've had conversations with for the last four years, and I've moved away from a day-to-day role. I'm on the board of directors now. But when I started it, like I was in San Antonio, just barely off back surgery. I, was, I had a job at a, a gym for, for student-athletes. And uh, people said, boo-hoo, shut up and dribble. Just go play. I would play for free. And I go, yeah, like, doesn't make it right, though. It doesn't make it right. Well, and good for you, because a lot of people these days choose to stand on the sidelines and point the fingers. You yeah. actually did something about it. And and that's that's what I give you. It's kind of like the uh, 
I used to laugh when everybody would have the save the whales bumper stickers, but I'm like, yeah, but are you actually doing anything to save the whales? Or are you just saying it on the back of your car? You actually did something about it. And it was easy. Yeah. It took four years of hard work to become an overnight success. Right. But we had a really good team. We still do. And we have a great idea and we have solutions yep. and we raise money and we help all players and we help communities and we help families. And we see what we do as a tremendous success because we're the only ones actively doing it. And there are other organizations that support ball players and try to find solutions, but everybody knows in this baseball community, if somebody needs something for minor leaguers, you can come to us. And that means we've done our job. Well, so let's, let's shift then because mm -hmm. in addition to more than baseball, you've started mind ready, Yeah, which is another organization um, focused on helping athletes more at the mental health level. So talk to us a little bit about that, uh, about what you're doing. Cause you're now on the, you're just, you know, you're just on the board now for more than just baseball. Now you're actively running mind ready. Talk to us a little mm -hmm. bit about mind ready and what its mission is to help athletes from a mental perspective. When this was back in 20, end of 2020, early 2021. Well, actually 2019, we had raised money for a mental health program. Players were, they have mental health coaching in minor league baseball, but it's, with someone employed by your team mm -hmm. and why would i talk to somebody about my mental health struggle and my depression and my anxiety and my substance abuse when it's someone hired by the team and so how can we create this independent organization supporting the mental performance of athletes what is something that i wanted what is the education where are the audio meditations where is the are interviews like this that I could listen to? Where is the one-on-one -on -one direct assistance with somebody who literally has my best intentions in mind? Um, and so in end of 2020, I just was just thinking one day and I go, how, how can we solve this problem? And so I, Mind Ready was born. I, I brought in a, a co-founder of mine, um, Pepe Santos, who played at Trinity with me. He played in the Mexican Professional League, played in Division Three, played in JUCO, played in Division Two. Um, has had friends, you know, um, uh, die by suicide, have, as have I. And, um, and and seeing the the struggles that student athletes and just athletes in general go through during and after careers, what is the what is something that you can implement and provide that solves this problem of let's say mental health and education. And that's providing one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions from a telehealth capacity. And it took a year to find the right coaches, to find the right platform, to have the right idea, to say the right things. And um, everyone I've talked to about this, I said, wow, that's a good idea. Wow, that's much needed. Wow, I, I, my kid could use this. Wow, my team could use this. My program could use this. Um, and we're onto something. And I think we're going to have a tremendous amount of success because this is something that athletes can use that parents can use for their kids that parents can use for themselves that coaches can use to benefit them and their team and their education and how to support their program as best as they can so mind ready is this solution it's this mental practicing it's this mental resources and it gives it gives us an excuse to speak publicly about mental health that says how do we how do we flip this and go okay where's the performance aspect of this how can we talk about outcomes? How can we talk about preparation that lead to positive outcomes? And if we do have a negative outcome, how can we revert that, that feeling of failure into um, 
more positive success. So we don't do motivational quotes or any of that. It's literally processes. What process can we put into place today that can help us on the field or off the field or in the classroom? Yeah, I, I'm about to make a very opinionated, sta opinionated statement that I know is not going to please everybody, but I just just got done saying this to my girlfriend a, a week or so ago about the number of cases you're seeing on the news now of college athletes committing suicide is is starting to get pretty scary. And I even posed the question to Amy. I was like, I don't know what it is. Is it is it parents pushing too hard? These kids are just burnt out. What is the cause of a lot of this mental? I, I mean, let's face it. Mental health is a challenge for most youth these days. Mm -hmm. But I feel like with athletes too, I don't know if it's the pressure of the sport, especially when you're playing at an elevated level. But man, something's got to be done. So solutions like Mind Ready, I mean, they're, they're gold. I, I will say this though. I think there are five student athletes have died by suicide over the last say four or five, six months. We will never know. We will never know why. I, you know, I, I'm sure there's a majority of people out there and myself included that has felt these feelings that has attempted that has looked back on it and said, wow, I was really lucky. Yeah. I was in that boat. I was a junior in college and felt that attempted that not knowing what was to come in my life, just going, man, I'm really stressed and anxious and upset. And what do I do with, is mind ready going to prevent it? It's not our job to say we're going to end suicide for student athletes, mm -hmm. but I hope that mind ready as a resource could plant the seed of here are some things that I can do as a student athlete here. My, my, my program, even Trinity university, um, we just got a strength coach a couple of years ago. Well, what if we had, what if mind ready sessions were available for this entire community? Okay. Now you're talking about something different, something that wasn't there before. Now there's education. Now we're talking about it in an event publicly. Now we're inviting the entire city of San Antonio to come join us. Talk about mental health. Now David Robinson is there because he's a hall of famer, San Antonio hall of famer, right? Talking about what he went through. Okay. So now you're increasing the dialogue. Now on the drive home, dad goes, is everything okay? Is, is mind ready something that we can provide for you? How about we check uh, this podcast? How about we listen to this? It's opening the dialogue of mental performance, mental skill, preparation, anxiety, depression are all tools that you can um, dissect and learn about. And if that, that saves someone's life, Man, that we're doing our job. Absolutely. But giving somebody an option to know, I, I, I could learn about this today. How can this affect me? That's important. And I, I'm happy that we've come to a place where we can, in our society and also just kind of how we talk about it. And um, it's the right thing to say, do. So right mind, ready, mind Ready is available for any athlete, any age, high school, college, pro, you name it. High school, college pro on an individual level. But if somebody says, man, my, I'm an athletics director of a high school. I run a 16U gymnastics program. I'm a college athletic director. I'm a president of a USL one soccer team. One mental skills coach is great. It's a valuable tool to have. It's expensive. And what is their bandwidth? Mind Ready says for that same amount, for that same from one coach, you get all of our coaches, plus our resources, plus the event plus the community development, plus all of these different amazing things that we're providing for this community, 
it's creating more opportunity for a larger population of athletes to facilitate these resources. That's awesome. How does, how do, uh, uh, whether it's a coach an athletic department or a parent, how do they get in touch with you to, to, to start activating or leveraging mind ready? What's the easiest ways to get in touch? Um, go to mindready.co. Take a look at what we have. My contact information is there. Our support number is there. Um, but if you go to our website and you click get started, you can fill out an assessment and get matched with the coach in five minutes um, and schedule to talk with them within the week. And so it's very easy to use. Um, from an individual level, I want to make it as easy as possible for a parent listening to go, my kid, this is something my kid could use. Take a look at it. Go, man, this is it's great. They match with a PhD. They match with a master's degree. Well, he's okay right now. How about just a former professional athlete? How about a current professional athlete to mentor and coach my kid? This is something that isn't there before. And yes, there are talk spaces and better helps. And those are therapy based. Those are diagnostic based. This is sports focused. And I think that brings in a different, different angle of how to talk about these things. Um, from a program level, you say, how many sessions do you want for your athletes? Let's do it. We can match them within a week and make sure that your athletes have someone to connect with on this. And so it's easy. And it took a year to figure out how to make it this easy, but we made it this easy. Well, again, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Kudos to you for taking action, Jeremy. Again, a lot of people can sit on the sidelines and talk about it and, and pontificate about what should be done. You're actually doing something about it. So, so we need more people like you. Got a final question I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. Go back to Jeremy Wolf, 17 years old, playing at Chaparral and, and knowing who you are today and the experiences you have today and everything you're doing today, what advice would you give 17-year-old Jeremy that was the advice maybe you wish you had back then? I would just tell him, and maybe he, I think I knew, but just... Be authentic. Just do what makes you happy. And I knew that. And that's why I am who I am today. That's why I just do things. And just find avenues to make things happen. It's just because you just, this is something I want. My, my mind really, I wanted to be successful. More than baseball, I knew, I felt it in my gut that there was something there. Mind ready, I feel it in my gut that there's, would gonna accomplish something really special. And so I, I knew back then, like, there are things that I'm very passionate about. Back then it was, you know, the Mets. And so, yeah, I'll tell you the 1999 starting lineup. Yeah, sure. But um, knowing that, like, everything that's meant to happen is gonna happen. And so I tell myself, or I would tell a 17 year old now, and I do, I have a 14 year old athlete that I work with. His name's Jack. He's fantastic. And I can see that he looks up to me uh, and what I was able to accomplish in my career. Um, for, for me, I look back and I'm very happy with how my career ended up. I have a friend who played in the big leagues, hit his first home run at Fenway Park and goes, my career was a failure. I go, you got to the big leagues and you had a home run at Fenway Park and your career is a failure? It's all about perspective. And so I would say be passionate about the things that you're doing. And if you have the courage enough to see it and speak it, you're going to have the opportunity to make something happen. It's not motivational. It's not 
it's just a philosophy. Well, and it's so, it sounds so simple, but it's so impactful because I would argue, Jeremy, there are a lot of athletes these days, young athletes that might be still in playing a sport because the parents want them to, do they truly mm-hmm. love it? Is it truly them? Maybe not. Uh, so that's such, such sound advice. Just do what you love, find what you love and go do it and just do it being you. Just if you make $30,000 a year or a hundred or 200, sure fine go chase the money but you're gonna hate it you're gonna hate it you're gonna hate it a weekend and you're gonna hate it a year end so do what makes you happy and everything else will fall into place i love that man well i want to thank you for taking the time today this was an awesome conversation no it was a pleasure Um, thank you for the invitation and for everybody else who who was kind of great who was lucky enough to listen to this take your words of advice and especially hey if you're a parent of a young athlete right now share this episode with your with your child this is a this is a big one and i'm so glad i i took the time to have jeremy on because so many need to hear this right now so jeremy one more time thank you for everybody else that's listening in you know what happens when you mix clarity and confidence massive action happens go make that action happen today Thank you for listening into this week's episode. And if you know of any other high achievers like yourself that you think would benefit from this episode, please do me a favor. Please share this with them. You would help me go a long way in sharing this message, getting this message out to as many people as possible. I'd be forever grateful. And if you really found benefit from today's episode, do me a favor, go subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a great review. It always helps to make sure that this podcast is getting in front of as many ears and eyeballs as possible. Thank you.